0: Everybody thinks this is terrible, nobody is happy, and you don't know because you don't get out and talk to people, and so I did. I'm
1: Jessica Jones-Langley, and this is 15 Minute Cities. If you didn't hear the last episode, you should really go back and listen to it. Carla Frankham is a fantastic storyteller, and listening to her explain her experience is hypnotic. In it, she speaks about the best advice that she was ever given, and in this episode, we hear from the man with the pseudonym S, who Carla passed on the best advice that she ever received. S has chosen to remain anonymous for this episode because, as he explains, he's stayed anonymous for his own mental health because this is a very challenging thing. In the previous episode, we heard what it was like for Carla to be a vocal supporter of low-traffic neighbourhoods, and in this episode, we hear what it was like for S.
0: But I've still got those people that glare at me on the street. And it's very uncomfortable. And you might think, you know, your neighbours at a sort of superficial level. Suddenly this is probing them on quite a deep philosophical level, actually. And you might be surprised the way that people fall. For instance, I've got a neighbour who's totally fine with it. He thinks it's great, great for the grandkids. And then I've got neighbours who don't even own vehicles, who are very apprehensive about the whole thing.
2: Very interesting, isn't it? So there's a brilliant counselor, um called Emily Care, who, Green Councillor in Oxford, and she said, if you are near the planters, things can be very volatile. And I think that's so true. So I live kind of 100 feet from one of the planters. And I do think if you live near the planters, that is a volatile patch.
0: Yeah. And conversely, I talked to some people only four weeks ago who live a bit further up the street. And when I said, how do you feel about the planters, as shorthand for the LTN, they were just like, "Oh." And I was like, what do you mean, what? This has dominated my life for six months. The planters, they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And it turned out they didn't load a car and they always walk one way out of our street. And so this thing, which has been a huge issue for so many people, apparently. And I'm talking to someone who lives 100 metres away. They didn't even know it happened.
1: Are you surprised about people's reactions?
0: I think it's easy for people in the sort of activist world like us to forget how immersed we are in the data as well. We know this topic so well, and we know how the speed of a vehicle impacts on the severity of the collision. We know that pollution doesn't just mean air pollution, it means noise pollution, it means vibration. We know that there's a health crisis in children under the age of 11, where I think around a Third, I need to fact check myself on that, certainly 25% where I live, they leave school at 11 overweight. And yet all this is spinning around your head and you, you look at LTNs and you're like, oh, it's such an amazing solution. We can have cleaner neighbourhoods. We can talk to our neighbours more easily and children will be able to walk to school. And when you ask parents why they don't let their children walk, walk to school or cycle or wheel, they say it's too dangerous because of the vehicles. And we can see all of the virtues and a lot of people aren't comfortable with them.
2: And there are people who I know there are people who it's really you know adversely affected their lives. They're worried about their business there's one woman who is taking her much longer to drive to a school. She works at not near London, tra- not near transport. And it's a fa- you know, she can't see her kids as much. So these, you know, change is hard. And how did you get into contact with S? So this person saw me on the actor of Travel Cafe S yes, And then you reached out to me on Twitter You DM'd me and you asked for a chat And you did seem quite keen to talk soon Maybe even that day And I was a bit like, who is this random person? wants to talk to me this day? But we managed to squeeze a conversation in that night, didn't we? About seven or something And I've got to say, you sounded stressed
0: I can remember that evening quite well Like you can remember all sort of traumatic times in your life And in my mind's eye, it was definitely raining those planters went in in December, so we'd already had to endure the winter of people being grumpy and in the dark and not totally happy with it. And we had community, we had various community meetings, actually, but it was usually I stuck out like a sore thumb as someone willing to advocate for the benefits of these schemes.
2: And you've been shouted at, I think, quite a bit, hadn't you?
0: Yeah, and I don't think people realised how aggressive they were being. Obviously, they felt quite passionate about their point of view And I was the lightning rod for that passion. And when you've got 15 people, all apparently in complete accord with a prepared set of responses, that's quite intimidating.
2: I just remember your breathing. I felt I could feel this panic in you over the phone.
0: Now looking back, I feel a lot more chilled out and I can see how wound up I was at that point. I knew there were other people who were happy with giving it a go, but people who are willing to voice that are vanishingly rare. So, for instance, you talk to someone, they say, oh, I see that you uh, were quite positive about this on social media locally, but, oh, my goodness, don't people pile in? And you're like, yeah, and they're like, but I'm totally behind you, but I don't want to get involved in that sort of pile-on in the local Facebook group. It all looks very stressful. I'm like, yes, yeah, it is very stressful, although sometimes I'd appreciate some backup. Um, And in the end, I had to leave. Well, I was essentially being trolled by... One or two anonymous accounts, but other people who are quite happy to, you know, they're putting their views forward, and that's fine. But if you're the only one who's going to speak up with the positives, and you've got 10 to 15 people weighing in with the negatives, and there are, you know, it's pros and cons, and that's going to happen every time you open your mouth. That's unsustainable for your own mental health because it becomes a full-time job.
2: I think also what happens is everyone else sees this, and other people have said to me that, you know, on the first few days of the scheme, some people have been like, oh, it's quite nice hearing the birds, and then they've just got, you know, laid into, and so then they they just keep quiet. So then the only voices you hear are those against So I got the sense that S thought he was the only person that liked this skeet. So at this point, I then recalled the advice I'd got from the amazing John O'Kenyon. And for, I think, one of the only times in my life I sounded calm. I just remembered how calm he sounded. And I was like, okay, I'm going to channel my John O'Kenyon calm vibes at this point. And I said to S, a lot of the things that Jono has said to me. First of all, these schemes speak for themselves, you know, in time. If they're going to work, they'll speak for themselves. This is not your job to sell this scheme. And also, it might seem like a lot of people are against this. And I remember saying the same things. You know, overall, these schemes are popular. People get very angry at the beginning. Over time, they will be popular. Stick with it. You don't have to sell this scheme. Just stay calm and see how it goes. But the other thing I said was, look, it might seem like a lot of people are against um, it, why don't you go and have some quiet chats with people?
0: The thing I took on board the most was the value of conversations. And ironically, that's what the people who were most dissatisfied with the LTN had also said. They said, we speak for the majority and always be very wary when people say that and use like emphatics, I think they're called. Everybody thinks this is terrible. Nobody is happy. And you don't know because you don't get out and talk to people. And so I did. And the more you talk to people, the more you realize that most people are, I'd say, cautiously optimistic, cautiously in favor. You know, we were only three months into this experiment and people were still deciding for themselves how they felt. And I just said to them, how, you know, how are you finding it? Not how has this adversely affected your life? Just how do you feel? And, you know, people are generally positive or in the middle. There were plenty of people in the middle. But what there weren't was an overwhelming majority of people who were very dissatisfied. And that was very reassuring to hear.
2: What were you finding the general numbers? Do you know
0: what? It hasn't altered that much over time. It's sort of a half of people... Broadly happy, and have probably become more entrenched in that position over time. About a quarter, a sort of neutral-ish, and then about a quarter, pretty unhappy. Or, and then you've got actually a hardcore of about twenty people who are very against, and they started out as very against, and uh, they haven't particularly shifted their view. But to put that in context, there's three hundred and twenty. Adults on the street. There's mm-hmm. only so about 100 under 18s. So that's quite a small percentage. I think actually, most councils, if you said you've got under 5% of people unhappy with your policy, they'd be like, yeah, okay, that's, that sounds like a great policy.
2: How did you feel after talking to me that night?
0: Yeah, just reassured. I don't know why, but it's a human thing, isn't it? It's reassuring to talk to someone who's been in a very similar position who completely understands where you're at. And yeah, I think the calmness came across. Very well. So, well done on on that. Yeah, I was actually quite nervous because I was like, "Oh, I'm speaking to Carla from Active Travel Cafe, London Cycling Campaigner of the Year." But I was like, "Oh, a bit of a celeb." Once we got past that, I walked away feeling like I need to calm down. My thoughts are going so fast about all of this stuff. And yeah, that the. I mean, the other great bit of advice is the schemes speak for themselves. I mean, that was so reassuring to hear. I know some schemes have been withdrawn very quickly. And unfortunately, that doesn't give them time for them to speak for themselves. But we had good support, political support locally. But then we also had an election about a month after Carla and I. So I think that was adding a whole level of stress because it, it became very, very political as well.
2: So we spoke about five days after our initial call. And I think what gave me the rush of excitement was partly, well, obviously, because you sounded better and partly because you've gone and spoken to lots of people locally. But, and here was the thing that really made me sit up, was that you said that all the people that were positive thought they were the only one. And I was like, oh, wow. I'd heard about the silent majority. I'd not heard about this. So I did this post. It was the 24th of April. I was on a train. I was very excited to find this thing. So Adam Tranter, the amazing Adam Tranter, got in touch. And this is what's so brilliant with Twitter. There are people that actually know real stuff who then come on to help. And he says that back in 2020, Biker's Best, Bikers Best reports showed people were clearly in support of more cycling, but they were quite consistently overestimated other people's support, opposition to this. Adam Tranter says, this phenomenon is called pluralistic ignorance. So we were like, boom, this is a thing, pluralistic ignorance. People underestimate how, you know, they think they're the only one that likes something. So then lots of other people said that work had been done. It was so exciting. It felt like, wow, I'd never heard of this term before. So that was really exciting. And that all came out. And I think you just five days later asked, you know, we were speaking the next few days and you sounded so much better. And then there was an election, wasn't there? And you had elections, and the Conservatives ran hard on Earth. Do you want to tell us a little bit?
0: Essentially, they ran very hard on a pro-private vehicle agenda. That was for the whole local authority. And then they ran especially hard in the ward that I'm sat in, to the extent of getting government ministers to come down and have tea with people who were dissatisfied. Drafting in the police and crime commissioner, who also happens to be a Tory. They used it as well as they could, and that's politics. They thought they were onto a winner.
2: They thought they were onto a winner because those, you know, the people against it were so loud. You know, there were hundreds of them against the scheme. No one liked the scheme. And how did they do? If you can tell us.
0: They didn't win this ward. And of the 11 seats they started with in Bath, North East Somerset, they now have three.
2: When we first spoke, I think if, you know, if you'd have known that this is where we'd be, I think you would have felt very reassured.
0: Yeah, I felt reassured, but other people felt reassured that their view wasn't uh, unique. So it was important to get that message across that there are 20 very noisy people who are making a lot of noise on social media. But also, if you go out and talk to people offline, you're going to get a very different picture.
2: And I was just going to ask what the scheme is like now. What are the positives you'll see?
0: So I think for most people, it's the the peace and quiet. That's the selling point, actually. You know, from my point of view, I relish the improvement in safety for children and young people. But the broadest reason people give is just I like peace and quiet. That means you are car exhaust, you are engine noises less loud music I mean that was the biggest surprise actually was how loud the music is from through traffic
2: I just think we've forgotten you know the freedom that we've lost from having cars tear through our neighborhood and you know a lot of the cars that have a lot of the drivers that have got tickets I've heard from some campaigners at Harrogate Cycling were from miles away absolute miles away and I've stopped a lot of these cars and what they do on our street is they tear down they have to stop at the end of the road to turn left anyway, but it's like, oh, I just want to get this quick buzz in and they'll just tear down. And I've, I used to stand in the street, not on the street, but I would say, slow down. And I've stopped drivers before and been like, what are you doing? And they've been like, oh, what, what's wrong with this? It's like they just don't seem to realise that this is where people live.
0: My hope now is that I can pass on these experiences. So you essentially paid yours forward to me. And we've got a lot more of these schemes coming up locally. There'll be someone having exactly the same experiences. I'm already reaching out to those people to start the process of reassurance more proactively. And just give it time. It's not all on your shoulders.
1: Many thanks to S for being willing to share their experience and I really hope this episode helps people who may be in a similar spot. And a big thank you to 15 who makes this podcast possible. 15 supports cities to become 15-minute cities through bike sharing. Their augmented bike networks are truly revolutionising urban mobility. Find out more by visiting 15.eu.